The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, November 7th, 2021, on the basis of Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. When we say that someone has pulled back the curtain, we mean that they have exposed a reality that was once impossible to see. They have revealed some truth that was once unknown. They have opened up eyes that once were closed. And hands down, the most famous example ever of someone doing this very thing, of pulling back the curtain, was when it was done not by some investigative journalist. It wasn't done by some detective or some whistleblower. Instead, it was done by a little black dog named Toto. If you've seen The Wizard of Oz, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Up until that point in the movie, all of Dorothy's hopes for returning home were pinned to getting to the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And every single step, every single treacherous step she took along that yellow brick road was designed to lead her to that goal. And yet when that little dog named Toto pulled back the curtain, he exposed that the great and powerful Wizard of Oz was really no wizard at all, and that all of Dorothy's hopes had been misplaced. And that entire treacherous journey she had been on had been misguided. To, to speak of something that stands between us and being able to see reality as a, a curtain is a very common thing. It's really the basis of our sermon series that we're starting today. It's a, a picture that by no means originated with the Wizard of Oz. In fact, it's a picture that the Bible often uses, including in the verses that are in front of us today. In these verses from Isaiah, God describes death as a shroud, as a sheet, as a curtain that prevents us from seeing reality, that keeps us and, and causes us to only see the here and now, the life that we are currently in. And just as was the case with the Wizard of Oz, as long as that curtain is hanging, as long as that shroud remains in place, it is likely, inevitable even, for us to spend our entire lives on a path that is misguided. All because of hopes that are misplaced. As was the case with the Wizard of Oz, the things that we might be pursuing in life can put up an impressive display. They can make a lot of noise and, and look really good, but ultimately they are unable to deliver what they promise. Well, thankfully, as we gather here this morning, we have something far better than a little black dog named Toto to help pull back that curtain. We have the living and true word of God. That word of God that's in front of us today helps us see what is behind the curtain. And not only that, it helps us see who is behind that curtain. We can avoid having our lives follow a misguided path in pursuit of misplaced hopes because of the message that God has for us through the prophet Isaiah this morning where he says, pay close attention to the man behind the curtain. Now I should warn you, that's easier said than done. You see, all of us by nature have this very vague but very powerful sense of what life was supposed to be. A life kind of like the life we enjoy now except 
without all of the brokenness, without all of the pain, without all of the sadness and the frustration that we experience every day. This is the life that God created for us. This is the life that God wants us to have, and it's the life that Isaiah sees in these verses. In these verses, it is pictured as a banquet. And not just any banquet, but a banquet where the best of foods and the best of drinks is served. So obviously, we should be picturing ribeye steaks buried underneath a mountain of sautéed mushrooms with a two-foot-high stack of Reese's peanut butter cups for dessert. That's the clear picture Isaiah has in mind. You can picture something else if you want. The point is, this is a feast where all of our bodily, physical senses are delighted in exactly the way God created them to be. And not only that, but of course, you don't enjoy a banquet all by yourself. You enjoy a banquet with others. And so at this banquet, the desires of our heart are satisfied by company with the people that we love, just as God intended it to be. Unfortunately, notice where this banquet takes place. It takes place on top of a mountain. And if you have ever driven across the flat prairies of Nebraska toward the high Rockies of Colorado, you know this to be true about mountains. Mountains are often much farther away than they seem. Add to that the fact that this shroud called death keeps us from seeing with our eyes anything beyond this life And it is very easy for us to simply assume that the top of this mountain, this peak of all human existence, is just up ahead. That it's very close to where we are now. That it's just on the horizon. We're not there yet, but if we keep going just a little bit longer, we'll get there. It's no wonder that in biblical times, the Jewish people believed what they believed. They pinned their hopes for reaching the top of this mountain, not on some great and powerful wizard of Oz, but instead on some great and powerful Messiah. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would bring them to the top of this mountain here and now in this life, in the life that they could see. And so Jesus had to spend a lot of time during his earthly ministry correcting that assumption about his work as the Messiah, including among his own disciples. Of course, it wasn't just the people of Israel who at times have come up with these visions of utopia, these visions of heaven on earth, these visions of reaching the peak of human existence and visions of the wizards who are going to help us get there. At times in human history, those yellow brick roads have been paved with politics. And the belief is that some king Some queen, some president, some ruler, some revolutionary figure is the one who's going to make this utopian vision and usher in this utopian age. At other times in history, perhaps, or for other people, that yellow brick road is paved with science and medicine. Some doctor, some company, some pill, some procedure is going to eradicate all disease on earth and finally take away once and for all all that ails us. Maybe especially today, sometimes that yellow brick road is paved with technology. And it's the Elon Musks of the world who will someday allow everything on planet Earth to run on batteries or who maybe will invent the space shuttle that allows us to someday colonize Mars. Or maybe it's the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world who promise us an all-new virtual 
reality, a metaverse that is better than the physical reality that we now enjoy. It's even better and it doesn't have any of the dangers or problems. All those visions of utopia sound good in theory. But the same history that records all of those visions and the people who led them doesn't speak very favorably about them. Not only have none of those utopian visions ever worked, but I heard the observation recently that if you study human history, the most war, the most violence, the most human bloodshed has occurred when some larger-than-life leader has a utopian vision stuck in his head. Now again, because there's a curtain, because there's a shroud that only allows us to see this life and this reality, it's easy for us to think, well, the next time it'll work. The next ideology or leader that comes along, the next medical breakthrough, the next technological innovation, that'll do the trick. It won't. This mountaintop is farther off in the distance than it appears. The peak of human existence might seem very close. It isn't. Well, that's bleak. Thanks a lot, Pastor Bauer. I sure am excited to go out and face another week. Well, thankfully, these verses not only show us what the peak of human existence looks like on the top of that mountain, they also pull back the curtains so that we can see the person and the path that will get us there. Yes, death is like this shroud, this sheet that keeps us from seeing anything beyond this reality. But did you notice what Isaiah said God would do to that shroud? He is going to destroy death forever. He's not just going to kind of move the curtain out of the way or allow us to just take a little bit of a peek behind it. He's going to destroy it once and for all. And pay close attention to how the Lord will do it. Isaiah says that the Lord will swallow up death forever. It's a very vivid, very descriptive explanation for what the Lord is going to do. And it would have really resonated with the people in Isaiah's day, and it should resonate with us today as well. Here's why. In ancient times, the god of death was known as Mot. That name Mot really just comes for the word for death that was used in the Semitic languages that were spoken at that time and in that place. But whenever people tried to depict this god of Mot, this god of death, they pictured it as this terrifying monster who came and swallowed up each and every one of its victims. It's understandable, right? I mean, even today, what happens when someone dies? We open up a hole in the ground. We put the person's body inside, and then the hole closes up. Death almost literally swallows each and every one of its victims. So what is God going to do to this terrible, terrifying, swallowing monster? He's going to swallow it. He is going to defeat death by taking death into himself. Now clearly, this, this very descriptive explanation for what God is going to do can only point us to one person. No, we ourselves cannot climb up to the top of that mountain, at least during our time here on this earth. But thankfully, Jesus came down the mountain. Jesus came to our side of the curtain. 
Jesus became one of us so that he could take onto himself all of the sins that we had committed. Jesus became one of us so that he could take into himself the penalty for those sins that we deserved. Jesus destroyed the very thing that would keep us from ever having life as it was meant to be by letting that thing destroy him. Jesus used death to defeat death. It's pretty easy to see that these verses are talking about Jesus. It's pretty easy for us to say that Jesus is the one and only person who can get us to the top of that mountain. He's the one and only person in whom we should put our hopes. But perhaps what is more difficult to see, in more ways than one, is not just the person that these verses point us to, but the path that these verses lay out for us. Jesus defeated death by swallowing it, by making himself subject to it. Jesus defeated death by letting death appear to defeat him. And friends, no other path is available to us. You might consider yourself far too much of a realist. You might tell yourself that you've got your feet firmly planted on the ground instead of your head way up in the clouds to buy into any of the utopian visions that I described before. You might not be waiting for any ideology or ism to come along and usher in any sort of utopian age. You might not be crossing your fingers for Fauci or Pfizer to make all the world's diseases go away once and for all. You might not be holding your breath for Musk or Zuckerberg to transport us or teleport us to a world that is better than this one. And yet because that shroud keeps us from seeing with our eyes anything beyond this life, it is still very easy for us to have misplaced hopes and therefore to follow misguided paths. For example, for us to think that the fulfillment we crave as human beings can only be achieved if we take every single desire that ever springs up in our hearts and we embrace it and we pursue it. We might be tempted to think that the approval and the acceptance that we crave as human beings, we must get from our peers, from our colleagues, from our friends, from our classmates, no matter what it costs us. We might be convinced that the sense of accomplishment that we crave can only be found in the number of points that we score before we graduate high school or the amount of wealth that we accumulate before we retire. It's very easy for us to follow each and every one of those paths for those things to be the source and the sum and substance of all of our hopes. But when we take a peek behind that curtain and see the person who's on the other side, we also see a path that is very different. Jesus destroyed death by making himself subject to death, by taking death into himself willingly. And friends, no other path is available to us. And so we do that very thing. We die to those desires in our hearts when they are clearly at odds with what God has revealed to us. We die to the approval and the acceptance of others if it can only be won at the cost of our character. We die to the accomplishments that we might otherwise have or the wealth that we might otherwise accumulate if investing in those things comes at the expense of investing in the things of the life that is to come. 
And then finally we die when we die. But of course, that's going to happen to everyone, right? Over the course of the last two years, I'm sure you're aware, there is a seemingly endless number of, of studies and clinical trials that have been carried out, and it seems like each and every week there's a new set of data that's released. I don't know if you heard the latest one. Extensive study, massive sample size. The study was carried out over an incredibly long period of time, and do you know what they found out? One out of every one human beings on the, pl on the face of planet Earth will die. That is the path that we are all on. But here's what's different for us as followers of Christ. That just as death was defeated by death in the case of Jesus, so also death is swallowed up once and for all in the case of every single person who clings to Christ. That very thing that would otherwise stand between us and life as it was meant to be is now the thing that brings us to that life as quickly as possible. The very thing that would separate us from God and from the people that we love forever is now the thing that brings us once again to that God and to those people for all eternity. It's as if Jesus took the iron prison bars of death, he melted them down, and he turned them into an escalator that now leads us right to the very top of that mountain. Death seems to be the thing that's standing in the way of us and the life that we desire, but it isn't. Jesus has already proven that those who die live. And so the curtain has been pulled back. You can see the person who's standing on the other side. You can see the path that will get you there. And yet before Isaiah rolls the credits on this vision of eternity, he wants us to see one more thing. He wants us to see the people who are already there. These are the people that we remember today. The people that you know, the people that you love, the people that you miss. A mother, a father, a grandma, a grandpa, a spouse, a sibling, maybe even a son or a daughter. You remember all kinds of things about them the things that made you love them, the things that make you miss them. But if you listen to them, they want you to remember just one thing. And it's found in the song that they are singing on top of that mountain. In our English translation, the word that gets used a couple of times is the word trust, but it's actually the word wait. They're on top of the mountain. The thing that they are celebrating, the thing that they are singing about, they're saying, we waited for the Lord and his salvation. Sounds like just the opposite of the thing that you would normally celebrate at the end of a person's life. It's not, we saved the planet. It's not, we changed the world. It's not, we made the most of it. We left all our chips out on the table. We left it all out on the playing field. No, they're saying, we waited for the Lord and for his salvation. And he delivered. Those people know that's what got them to the top of the mountain. And that's what will get you there too. Amen. Amen.